Let's review some films. Let's review some films. Let's review some films. See what we gotta say. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the franchise Strikes Back. Um, I am Steve. I am uh, once again joined by Tim and Linton. Hello, gentlemen. And uh, today we are talking about uh, the Mad Max series. Um, Tim, I think last time we, the first episode, we did get this till the very end, but I want to lead off with this. Um, you are drinking, you're getting heavily intoxicated for every episode. So oh, yeah, definitely. what is the drink that you've got today? Uh, so today in honor of Mad Max, I made uh, guzzoline, which it turns out is really just a rum chata. And I didn't realize that until afterwards. So it's, uh, some dark rum, uh, Kraken, if you want to be brand specific milk and some cinnamon. Well, with the oil barrels. Oh, that's a different franchise. Eh. With the oil barrels that they were, it could have been actual gasoline at at this point. Could have grabbed that from the shed if we really wanted to go for authenticity. (laughs) Right. I would have also accepted for a name uh, juice because they Mm. do refer to it as juice. So uh, guzzling is Tim's drink of choice for the evening. And like I said, we were talking about Mad Max, which... um, this one's good. You know, we we picked probably the mo- like I said in the last one, like the most softball of softball uh, franchises in Toy Story, and there's some diversion uh, divergence on this one a little bit. Um, uh, some people's opinions are going to be wrong, so we'll just kind of hop right into it. Um, this I would is, like to I, know I, before we uh, before we dive any further. I meanwhile I'm wearing my Furiosa shirt, uh, which says "We can do it" and has uh, Imperator. I think is her official title. Yeah. Uh, Furiosa uh, in a uh, Rosie the Riveter look. Uh, so obviously you cannot see that via podcast, <laughs> but uh, be be assured that I am in fact wearing it. The take a screenshot. Is coming. Yeah, just take a screenshot. No, it's a fantastic shirt. And uh, yeah, so we're talking, uh, you know, you mentioned Furiosa. Uh, this is a great series to look at because you've got essentially one – This is actually probably, I would say, one of the, like, I know it's not proper grammar, one of the most unique series to talk about, because I don't know if I've ever seen a film series operate the way that this does, in that you had three movies that came out very similarly uh, around the same amount of time um, in the late 70s and early 80s, mid 80s, and then there was like a 30-year gap, and then you got what the fourth movie in this series which essentially is like as perfect a movie in my opinion, as you could possibly have all of which are directed by one person. So like I, I there's just so many, there's so many like elements to this that like make this such a bizarre, unique uh, series. Yeah. I, I think what was interesting too, I never watched the series growing up. Um, I was aware of Mad Max through essentially pop culture osmosis. I had seen enough clips on different things and and knew enough about it from other people showing me things and talking about it so that I would get references made to it in other movies and shows and stuff like that. Um, but I never actually watched a Mad Max movie until Fury Road. And Fury Road is like the most perfect distillation distillation of an action movie. It's just like nonstop. The stunt work and action set pieces are all phenomenal. 
So starting with that and then going back and watching the other movies for this afterwards was really, really weird because to a certain extent, I was having trouble really wrapping my head around why this series became so influential and had the impact that it did on pop culture. Because it did. It definitely did. It is incredibly influential. But really, I was just kind of like, ah, I see where this came from now. And that was kind of it. Like, Road Warrior, I think, is a pretty solid movie. But the other two are just kind of... Well, the first one, I think, is actually pretty terrible. And uh, the third one, Thunderdome is really weird in a good way for like the first stretch and then it turns into hook halfway through and then it just lost me. When where did you where did you uh what what is your overall like uh vibe on the series? Well, my overall statement starts with Tim stop pounding the table for emphasis. We can all hear it. Um <laughs> But beyond that, um yeah, I mean, Tim said that, so this is a franchise that he didn't, like, grow up with, so obviously he's going to have, like, a different view of it than someone who did. Um, and I think, Steve, you've you've watched at least parts of most of I had, them. Yeah, I had seen Road Warrior. Uh, it's the same with you, where I saw Road Warrior on TNT however many times, and then I had seen, like, parts of Thunderdome uh, over the years, but I had never seen the original before we hopped into this. Yeah. Um, so for me, like, I, I have a lot to say on Fury Road, especially later on. But yeah, I would say like Fury Road, uh, calling it like a distillation of everything that Miller had been trying to do or an encapsulation of his career, I would say is apt. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't think the first one is very good. Uh, I, like, I'd only seen it once before rewatching. And I remember when I initially saw it, I just thought it was boring even though it's essentially a movie about like car chases and like violent gangs. So it shouldn't be boring, but rewatching it, like I would still maintain that it is because you just are not connected to these characters. You aren't, there's not a strong through line plot. So yeah, I, I, I don't think the first one is all that great. We can break things down more extensively, but I do think Road Warrior is great, and I think Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, as I've said many times, is really great until they go beyond Thunderdome. Um, <laughs> and I think even then, it's still good. I think it just gets really uneven. It's just that the first like forty minutes, you were just—I feel—you're just locked in. World building was mentioned. Like you're just in this great space, and they had more money to work with than they ever had. Um, and everything—it's kind of like. If you ever watch, that was the first one that had U.S. financing. Oh, okay, I didn't see that, but I I believe yeah. it. It's kind of like if you watch, like Full Metal Jacket is a very good movie all the way through, but everything after they leave the barracks, it's like you feel like you've already watched a full movie. Like, cause yeah. the bar- like up to the barracks, it's like it's this own perfect kind of thing, and then it becomes a different movie because there's like, and all the stuff after that is like still really good, and I feel like. Beyond Thunderdome operates in a kind of similar way. Like the stuff after it isn't bad. It's just, it's been building. It's like this roller coaster where it just keeps inching up and up and up. And then he gets to the place with the kids and you just kind of lose a ton of the tension that had been building. But uh, only other thing I'll say like is with Road Warrior, because uh, Tim, I think has classified it as just all right. 
I, for me, I feel like Road Warrior was the Fury Road of its day. I feel mm-hmm. like the way we watch Fury Road of just like being like, holy shit, you can make a movie like that and look what they're putting on screen. Like, I mean, yeah, obviously 1982 Fury Road is not going to stand up to the action stuff that they're doing. Or 1982 Road Warrior is not going to stand up to the action they're doing in Fury Road or like uh, Mission Impossible, what's it, Fallout, right? It's the yeah. newest one. Yeah. yeah. Like that or like some of the like the top ones of today. But I feel that it still largely stands up. I feel that it still is incredibly visceral. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like it just like it kicked the door down in terms of here's some stuff you can do. Because I can't think of like a movie that's like a car chase action-y thing prior to Road Warrior that did anything like Road Warrior did. Right. So, so I, I, I see it as like a progression that so so that I I would harsh I, I would stringently defend Road Warrior on it might look quaint today, but nobody was doing what it was doing in 1982. Yeah, and I, I felt like uh, now having watched all the movies in a row, I feel like what you're saying like about it being a progression is is pretty apt. I feel like each movie built on the previous one. And I don't know if they, if George Miller necessarily cared as much about like maybe, maybe continuity of story or like Max's backstory or anything like that. You got just enough of it to like, understand like his place in that world. Um, But each movie was like essentially like a, an improvement off. I felt the previous one. So, uh, cause like the way that I ranked these movies is I ranked it just backwards. So my favorites were, Fury Road, Thunderdome, Road Warrior, and then the first one. And I felt like, talking about just the first two for a second, I felt like it was like an Evil Dead situation, which actually maybe you might have told me that, Linton. You might have mentioned it being like an Evil Dead situation where maybe that was in my head as I was watching it. But like, it definitely has that vibe of like the first one being just a very low budget experiment. And then Evil Dead 2 is the improvement on that. We know what we're doing now. That, that was a sense that yeah, I got right, exactly. too, was that Road Warrior was like, kind of Oh, I of should try what, this. That was what Miller wanted to make in the first place, but obviously he didn't have the resources to start out with that, so he makes Mad Max, which is, I think, charitably just like an exploitation film almost with no exploitation. And it's really low budget. There really is not anything going on but you just get like enough groundwork and world building so that you can launch yourself into Road Warrior. And I will say that is something that even even the those first three movies, which I'm not as big a fan on, I will give it credit for just like the kind of subtle way it builds the world out where there's no there's no like Star Wars style scrawl at the beginning laying out exactly what's going on in the world and what's happened. It's just like, little bits and pieces and like a lot of showing instead of telling for you to figure out what kind of a world that these people are living in. So I think that's something the series has always done a good job with even those earlier entries. I think for me, it's just, I didn't give a shit about Max or any of the characters until Fury Road. Like I feel Fury Road is the only one where there are actual characters that I can be invested in and care about. Like even Max himself is a complete blank slate for most of the series. And this is, and I mean, maybe 
you know, especially Linton, you've watched these movies more than me. Maybe you can answer this. Mm-hmm. I didn't really even understand where the name Mad Max came from. Like, again, I saw Fury Road first and Fury Road, like we see him haunted by visions and hearing voices, which I had always assumed were like things from the previous movies. And they're not like he's seeing flashes of characters and people that have never been seen before. But I assume that was like where the Mad Max character is coming from. He's being haunted by his demons and all the people he's failed and everything. But none of that is apparent in the first three movies. He's just Mel Gibson kind of meandering through a bunch of set pieces and plots that are happening around him. And there's like, why is the first movie called Mad Max? Like, I guess uh, he's upset that his wife and kid die. But even then, he's not really showing much emotion and he's not acting crazy. I I would answer. I mean, to to answer a couple questions you have in there, like. Uh, I mean, I think it's a legit question to ask that I never really thought of because it's just sort of like, oh, that's just what the series is. But once you posed it the other day, um, I mean, I think the idea is that the beginning of that movie, well, I don't think it has a very good plot, but the beginning of the movie is kind of like he wants out. And by the end, he has gone from like he wants out and to live a normal life to now like he's chasing down a biker gang and murdering them ruthlessly and chaining a guy to a pipe and burning him alive. So I think that's like, kind of where the title is coming from and also just like it sounds like a cool title that in 1979 if you're trying to like push an exploitation movie like Mad Max sounds cool so I mean it's probably like a combination of those things for where they landed on it I will say in terms of him not being a ton of like not being a lot of character work there I mean I would agree with you but it might and this might help clear up why where you might be wondering why people have latched onto it and that you might not have. Um, I mean, I think these movies operate essentially as Westerns and he is the mysterious stranger that wanders into town. I mean, the first one, not so much, but road warrior, like I'm pretty sure is like, well, it absolutely functions as a Western, but I'm pretty sure they like more or less ripped off a Western script, like Rio Bravo, Rio Lobo. It's basically the same thing of like, Bandits are coming to town and they're going to raid you. And there's this mysterious stranger who's got to like help the townspeople and they want him to stick around. He's like, no, I got to go my own way. And it's like, it's just a Western. Um, And then Thunderdome has still has elements of that. And then Fury Road has elements of that. And if you watch like the Eastwood Westerns, they function in a very similar way. And other Westerns do as well, especially spaghetti Westerns. Um, so yeah, you can not, you can fault them for like, well, that's not great character work, but it's just kind of like a different way of telling the story. Um, and the Mandalorian has been like pulling from that and Kurosawa stuff use that same kind of motif. And at one point I forgot about this, but at one point in Thunderdome, they actually introduce him when he's being brought in against Blaster as the man with no name, which is what. Eastwood is always referred to as for the Dollars trilogy, like not in those movies because he always has a different name in those movies, but the man with no name trilogy. So so for me, like I, I feel like if you had watched you know, for people who've watched the Dollars trilogy or have gotten into those kind of Westerns and that kind of stuff, the Mad Max movies are not all that dissimilar. So that might not be your taste of like you might still be saying, well, wait, I, I still want good character work or whatever. And that's fine. But I, I think it's in that tradition is what's going on. 
I feel like those other examples, though, like the Mandalorian and like the Spaghetti Westerns, I also feel that those characters are also more competent to lend to their being able to be more stoic and unemotional, where and maybe you guys disagree. I don't really think it was until Thunderdome that I felt Mad Max was actually doing anything like badass or like that would like lend you to calling him Mad Max or the Road Warrior. Like, because the first one, I mean, we, you know, the first one isn't that great. There isn't a lot going on, but even in Road Warrior, he doesn't do very much. Like even in Thunderdome and then Fury Road, I get that part of, what the series is, is he's not the driver of the action. He is always getting swept up into other people's struggles and issues. And I think that's fine. And I think that's a really good way to build a franchise because your opportunities are essentially limitless by doing it that way. But he does, he really does it. Like he just drives straight through things. He, he is like the first one, he just drives over a bridge and pushes a bunch of people on motorcycles off the bridge. And then the main bad guy just drives into something else and kills him. He does the cool like proto saw thing with the one bad guy at the end, but that wasn't even the main bad guy. So I always thought it was weird that that's the person you give Mad Max his one cool moment in that movie, like a second tier henchman who didn't have anything to do with the death of his wife and child in the first place. It just seemed like a really misplaced way for him to get that like sense of cool. And like Thunderdome is when he, I think he finally started to be kind of like approaching that man with no name or Mandalorian status. Like he goes into the Thunderdome and he fights blaster and he, you know, he takes a beating, but ultimately finds out, way to outsmart him and take him down like that was cool also talking about thunderdome i was like oh cool they're gonna go in the thunderdome and fight and then they put on the cirque du soleil harnesses and i was like what that is fantastic you start you start bashing the thunderdome oh no no no. that is i was just i'm gonna stop i'm not bashing it i I was just sitting there. I was like, why has there not been a Mad Max themed Cirque du Soleil if this has been here the now entire that time? I like. Do the French to... not get these movies? Like, what's going on? I want Steve to be able to jump in here, but it, it does go into something I did want to bring up on Thunderdome of like, I've seen that so many times, especially that sequence, and rewatching it for the first time in a number of years, like, just reaffirmed how much I love. Especially Thunderdome. Everything up to, but especially everything that happens in there. But rewatching it, like, and thinking about, like, how it is staged and those, like, elastic bands, how much they add to it because it gives it this sci fi flavor, but it also adds it into that very kind of junkyard aesthetic because it's not like, you know, it's not like super high tech stuff. It's just like stuff like, oh, we, we found a bunch of these, like, bungee cables and yeah. we're going to use them. Um, but what's great is like, there's so many gladiator movies or, you know, think of like escape from New York or a bunch of things that have done just like, Oh, it's two dudes. And they're just going to fight to the death. It's a bunch of stuff that's done it. Some of them have done it well. Some of them haven't, but like when they put those bungee cables on them, you're just sitting there like, what is this? And keep going. (laughs) It's just, it's just the right amount of absurdity to like make that so much more fun. Yeah. 
So, all right. So I will agree. I totally will agree with you, Tim, that I feel like they don't give the villains um, in the in the first two movies the justice that they deserve or like the deaths that they deserve um, on screen, because in the first one, Toe Cutter gets like annihilated by the truck and you don't even really understand that it's him. Just a a random truck. Yeah, it's yeah. not even Max. It's just a truck, and and for some reason he's like the the logistics of how he was there is are actually very confusing, and so that one I felt was disappointing. And then I also didn't realize like how sort of disappointing like even Humongous's death was in Road it's Warrior. Like, the same death. Yeah, it is. He just gets like annihilated by a vehicle, and it's kind of I just not very satisfying. And I did feel that, and then it actually turns it on its head um, with like uh, Anti um in uh thunderdome which i i love she's fantastic yeah. and oh I, lo- I love that she lets him go and then yeah and, and, and they and, share a moment like yeah right like it it it's a great way to says turn you that can't whole, be civilized uh, in the dystopia exactly well here's here's my next point on that though is to what you're saying is like <clears throat> i the my answer to what you're saying about like Max and his evolution is that I'm thinking in terms of like the timeline of the series so in Mad Max the original um you know, they say, oh, it's a few years from now. And I did read that. The only reason that they did that, George Miller did that was because they didn't have enough budget to film in like modern settings. And so he said that they just set the movie a few years from now so that they could use any gross (laughs) wasteland setting that they could find without having to explain any of it, which definitely makes sense because they don't, they actually don't explain any of it. So that I get. Now, uh, I believe Road Warrior is set five years after that. Uh, Fury Road is 15 years after the original. And um, Thunderdome is like 20 years after. So like flip those. No, I've I've heard that Fury Road is actually in between Road Warrior and Thunderdome. Thunderdome is like I haven't seen that anywhere because they say because he's like in his 40s in Thunderdome and like in his like mid thirties, I think for Fury road, I could be wrong, but that's what I've read that. Like, uh, yeah. I just took that I, up I, to I recasting. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if Miller is like holding firm to like the age kind of thing. I mean, that makes sense, but like, I think in the continuity of the, like, I feel like in the themes and continuity of the movies, especially with the way Thunderdome ends, if you were to, if you were to end the series now, Fury road feels like more of a third installment because Thunderdome has such a like finality to it I feel in Mm -hmm. terms of like how it ends but but anyway so I feel like that what is great about these movies is that it shows that evolution of Max as a character that maybe he wouldn't have been the Mad Max of Thunderdome in Road Warrior like what I like about his character is that he's not expecting like he doesn't he's not asking to be, and he doesn't expect to be a hero. He's trying to just survive. Like in road warrior, all he wants is his car and some gasoline. Um, Guzzling. Guzzling. I'm sorry. Yes. I always love in this car. I do like in these movies that how quick society crumbles and then also develops like its own language and like, and customs that like (laughs) within a few years, all aspects of the previous society were completely forgotten. But I don't know. That's how, like I, that's how I feel. Is like I don't need him to be necessarily a hero. Like I like him as an antihero, and I like him as somebody who survives this long in in the, the apocalypse because he's looking out for himself. Although I, I will say, uh, after I watched them all in order, 
um, you know, I'd seen them all, but I, I rewatched them all in order. And, you know, he's done. And I, I was assuming Fury Road was a continuation after Thunderdome. Um, you know, maybe it, it's not, but like, let's assume that it is chronological. But when it did get to the end and like he's convinced Fury Rose, Furiosa and all of them like, oh, you got to go back. You know, there's fresh water there. It's green. We can overtake it. We can wipe these guys out. You know, they're going to install this, like, you know, matriarchal society. It's going to be better than everything that was under, uh, you know, what's his name? Uh, what's his, Oh, uh, uh, Morton Joe. Joe. Morton Joe, who is fantastic, by the way. All right. So, so he's convinced them to do it. They, they do it. They get back there. And then he just wanders off to the wilderness. And I'm like, where are you going? What is better than what you have right now? Like, what is going to possibly top this? He's the he's the Joe Biden of the post apocalypse, just wandering around unsupervised, has to <laughs> well, keep getting roped I mean, into helping helping solve problems. No, it's you're right though. It, it's definitely that notion where at some point you need to end the character's journey, and it doesn't really make a ton of sense for Max to just continue wandering through a wasteland when literally like an oasis is there for him. Well, and, and at the end of the first one, like he's lost his wife and daughter and he gets like vengeance and he's just like driving off and it's like, okay. And at the end of the second one, um, he's like helping these people out. He's already kind of like refused to join them up, but he's doing it for his own reasons. And he finds out they were like, you know, kind of like tricking him to be kind of a decoy. And then he just like, decides to like, all right, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm going to stick to my guns and not, not join all of this. Third one, he would have gone with them, um, but he couldn't get on the plane and he had to essentially sacrifice himself for the good of the group. True. Yeah. And then the fourth one, like he's home, he's there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. And it's, and it's right. per- particularly does it. And it's, it's, it's weird now that we're turning on Fury Road because we all agree that's the, the best of them. Oh, it's but not, it's not like a problem. It's, I, I just, it just occurred to me while but, I was watching But it. now that you bring it up, it's, it's particularly weird because the movie opens with, before he's captured by the war boys and everything, the movie opens with his voiceover where he talks about the, the only goal is to survive. And the movie ends with him walking away from fresh water, a means of surviving. He's been outside of the the Citadel. He knows there's no water out there. He knows there's nothing. He's also, so, been, he's, he's also been instrumental in saving like five supermodels' lives. <laughs> like, he's just like, I'm good. <laughs> it's like, I think like the only, I think the only like possible explanation for that is that I feel like in that situation, Max would understand that a, a a location like this that has like unlimited water and is like a beautiful, you know, uh, opportunity would just be seized upon by some other group at some point. And he probably would hedge his bets on just himself. But then, but then it, it, it's like, well, you just, you just made the ending that much more uplifting then, didn't you? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like the movie there's no doubt that going- like, Fuck you guys. Deal with your own problems. This thing's, this thing's going to fall, and I'm not going to be here when it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got to, like, yeah, I mean, he's going to have to go save some other group, you know? <laughs> That's, it's, you know, I, I think uh, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't, like, affect my enjoyment of the of the series at all. Um, and, and, I mean, I it, think really when it comes down to it, it's just, like, it's about his character that he mm-hmm. he feels more 
confident on his own. He doesn't want to be part of this. He feels safer on it. Like, I think there's like ingrained things in his character of why he's doing that. But it's sort of in a, you know, kind of just like a goofy fanboy kind of thing as I'm yeah. watching it's like yeah. just, just stay just, just stay yeah. there this seems <laughs> pretty nice dude <laughs> would have been would have been worth it if there ended up being like an end of credit stinger where like pans over the desert and he's just like lying there like dehydrated to death and just like shriveled up <laughs> like fuck I should have stayed <laughs> well um oh shoot i totally lost my train of thought on what i was about to uh say on fury road um but um was it anyway it's a masterpiece <laughs> that was I... oh oh here's my oh here's what i was gonna say on fury road um he has his car in it yeah, the yeah. I, there were there were i, two, I read i read about continuity issues i was gonna ask ask about because there was that there's the car that just shows back up after it was out of commission road warrior and he do- he was using camels in thunderdome um so it's unlikely he would have pieced it back together and then also the end of road warrior we find out that the the bam bam kid with the boomerang is the uh, one the who feral do- boy yeah that was <laughs> was the one um look I like Bam Bam Kid, and also that boomerang was pretty sweet. I did enjoy. Yeah, I did like the part I did where enjoy when he just like clunk right into the. That was pretty head. sweet. <clears throat> um, but we find out that he was the one doing the voiceover at the beginning, and he's essentially telling us the story of when he crossed paths with Max. And Road Warrior ends with like, and that was the last time we saw him. But then in Thunderdome, the the dude with the flying car. And I assume the same kid, they show up, they steal the shit from Max, which I guess they didn't realize that. No, was, no, it's, it's a it's totally different. People? No, it's just George Miller decided to cast the same guy in a pilot's role. Yeah, yeah which is it re- it's super bizarre. Um, that is really confusing to <laughs> so, cast him in a different role with a different child. So, but also and, like in a very similar character, like essentially yeah, the same character, but even, not the same person. So, even, so, even when uh, they're doing the Thunderdome, like when, when Max comes into the Thunderdome, like they do a close-up of the pilot guy and like his facial expression almost looks like recognition. That was yeah. how I took it. Anyway. Well, so, okay, so... Well, I yeah, can, because he answer... recognizes him... He recognizes him because he stole his shit at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I can. Yeah. He's the, he's the reason that Max lost everything at the very beginning. Um, but, but I can answer both these. Um, so the kid, to my knowledge, is not supposed to be any connection to the kid from the other one. Um, that, as far as Thunderdome goes, they identify that kid as literally the son of the pilot. Uh, there is debate within like the fandom of whether or not the pilot is the same as the gyro captain, because why wouldn't he be, um, you know, it's the same yeah. scrawny <laughs> dude who's flying a <laughs> helicopter in the middle of the wasteland. But, um, but supposedly like, it's like, I, I don't know if Miller's ever commented of whether or not he for sure is a different character, but it's like kind of at least up in the air um, for the fandom of whether or not he is one, one clue you could say is like, in rewatching, I was trying to look at it and like, well, is there anything that would differentiate? And the pilot from the gyro captain has like really messed up teeth. Yeah. And then yeah. the one from the new one has like pristine teeth. So unless they reinvented dentistry at some point in this, uh, you know, wasteland, he, then he, bar- so, he bartered for new teeth in barter town. So I, I think they're just supposed to be different characters. Um, 
but uh, it, you know, it is weird that you would cast the same actor in such a similar role. As for the uh, the car, I did look this up because I was curious about it too. According to like the Mad Max wiki, their timeline puts Thunderdome before Fury Road, and they say it goes. He has the car in the first one. He has it in the second one, and it gets trashed. Um, in the third one, they make a case for the camels that are dragging stuff, like that there's like a chassis or something that like they think is supposed to be part of that car. Um, I don't know if you can actually see it or whatever, but they claim that you can like see part of something. So they think that it's like the wreckage remains of his original car. And then the idea is that in the in Fury Road, he has the same car and it's been rebuilt, but they went into a very geeked out version of it all and talking about like how it's very different and like it's on its last legs and there's a lot of things about it that are like messed up and not working um and then the war boys take it and like make it better so that theoretically is the progression of that car and then i think it's just actually just destroyed presumably by the end of this one yeah i'm trying to think because like you could even well, no, because if it's its last appearance is uh, Road Warrior, right? It gets last destroyed. Official, uh, last official as the car, yeah, it gets blown up when he they set off that gas bomb. Right. So I'm trying to think, like, because I almost for a second thought it would be possible that Fury Road could even be. Because here's the only reason that I, I'm sticking on like. Thunderdome being the last one is because they go through to such lengths to to gray up Mel Gibson, yeah. And so it seems inter- it's like I, you could almost potentially make the you could almost flip the two, uh, Road Warrior and uh, Fury Road. I, I almost feel like Fury Road could be the second one. I know the continuity of the car doesn't make a lot of sense, but it wouldn't any it wouldn't no matter what. Well, I, so, I did see I did see one fan theory. Uh, speculate. So, like, some people think that Toe Cutter is supposed to be a Morton Joe because it's played yeah. by the same actor. Right. Um, and so they oh, think... Oh, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And, he, and he's good in both, even though I don't think the first movie is very good. Like, that guy plays a really good villain. Um, and Toe Cutter was, is a great name for a villain. And so he goes under the wheels in the first one, and then the theory is that he becomes a Morton Joe, and that's why he needs all the breathing stuff, is that he was all, like, screwed up from it. And it's like, okay. And they also draw the connection of, like, that bald, buffed-out son he has is supposed to be Lord Humongous, and then he gets all burned up, and that's why he's wearing the mask. Uh, So their theory is that this takes place before Road Warrior. But again... The Mad Max wiki mentions this, but then kind of says like, but there's no confirmation of this or no reason to believe that this is the case, but just sort of that it's like a fan theory that's floating out there as a thing. I do enjoy that George Miller never, that he just kind of is like, man, I don't know. Like he's <laughs> like, I don't think he ever like, I don't know if he ever put the thought into it or he just likes people like randomly uh, theorizing on it because yeah. it's hard to guess because it's like, you know, some of these movies like or like Fury Road at least like languished in uh development hell for like oh, yeah. decades and you I know it's hard to like, I kind of feel like that helped it though not just because oh, no doubt. obviously oh it definitely did not just because obviously waiting that long meant that he then had access to much 
you know, much better resources and better effects and better staging for the action. But I feel like, I think one of the reasons that Fury Road, especially as someone who wasn't really a fan of the series anyway, why I think that is such a superior movie compared to the other three is to me, it's the only movie that's actually trying to say something. Like there's actually like a point that it's trying to make, whereas the other three are essentially just straight up like action movies. Like the plot is really just there to string along the set pieces, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, especially if you have good set pieces, but Fury Road actually was trying to say something like with the, you know, the plight of the women and the, you know, the who killed the world essentially put the women in charge. They're going to run a better society. Like there was an actual point being made in Fury Road. However, kind of, you know, under the, you know, it's not necessarily forefront, the action's forefront, but there's something there that isn't there in the the first three movies, which are essentially just let's watch mad. Let's watch Max go through the ringer in these various forms. Then, you know, talking about how your the fact that it was in development hell for as long as it was uh, helping it. I also would love to meet the Warner Brothers executives that gave the Fury Road one hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would love to like walk. I would love to be walked through that process where they were like, you want to do another one of these 35 years after the last one came out 30 years 30 years. 30 okay 30 years after the last one came out and you want 150 million dollars for it so like I, yes that's crazy so i i Money looked up please. i looked up what they all cost and the first one was like four hundred thousand dollars um and the then, highest that was the highest grossing up until Blair Witch Project that was the highest like you had mentioned yeah I've seen some conflicting things like if you go on Wikipedia it's, it claims it made a hundred million dollars which I was like that can't be right can it and I looked it up in other places and was saying conflicting stuff but yeah I think it probably did hold that record for biggest like uh, percentage of profit uh, yeah uh, maybe not percentage I was gonna say I thought. Tur- I thought Ninja, Ninja, Ninja Turtles, Turtles Ninja the first Turtles one, had there. some kind of record. Yeah, Ninja Turtles had a record, and I think Halloween had a record at one point. But anyway, I was seeing conflicting information. But regardless, 400000 for the first. Second one costs like a couple mil, I think. Um, third one was maybe like $10 million or something. I think, it may- I think both the second and third maybe made like $35 million or something. I mean, these are like 1980s you know, amounts and stuff, too. Um, but yeah, then it jumps from like a $10 million production to a $150 million <laughs> production. And well, and I, this was something I did want to address because I think we should launch hardcore into Fury Road here. I just wanted, because one of the notes that I had when we were talking about this in prep was that I thought that Fury Road might be one of the biggest surprises in movie history. And where I would say that is coming from is you have the first one, which like makes an impact, does its cult circuit, gets some word of mouth, does well enough to get a couple more movies off the ground, which do, you know, better business. The third one didn't do as well comparatively. Um, But I mean, Road Warrior grabs a lot of American audiences, does pretty well. Both Road Warrior and Thunderdome play on TNT, TBS all the time. People grow up with it. Mel Gibson's career helps get launched. Uh, George Miller's career gets launched. 
Um, so, you know, you know, you have like, just like kind of with Sam Raimi in the Evil Dead movies, you have like something that like was kind of a mini phenomenon of its day, but we are well past its day. We are, <laughs> we are 30 years removed from its day. It does not have the kind of cult, as much as I like the movies, it does not have the kind of cultural connection as like Star Wars or even like Back yeah. to the Future or Indiana Jones and stuff like that or Ghostbusters. Like people like them. But you have largely like a male audience who likes them. It's not like a family thing. It's not like a men and women thing. It's like specifically dudes. And it's people who grew up watching them on TV largely. Um, you have this movie that language. And I don't even know if anybody out. was necessary. Yeah, yeah I don't was know if anybody was ever was, really asking for one. Yeah, like he, he wanted to do one. If you followed stuff, you would see that it was like in development that they almost made it right before nine 11. If you want to dig into that story, uh, I don't know if either of you yep. saw that, but they almost had it. George going. Miller did nine 11. Yes. They almost had it going. And then nine 11 happened. And then I think there were like questions on, you know, whether or not it's going to be this super violent thing right after that. And then there were issues later. So we like, can, so some yeah. good stuff came out of nine 11. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Steve DiMario with the hot take. <laughs> See, you had that. You had that it, like, um, they tried to film it another time, and, like, the desert started, like, to be in full bloom, and they, like, couldn't shoot it in Australia. So, anyway, you have all these weird things up against it, and it's 30 years removed when you're finally making it, and it's kind of this big question mark of, is this going to work? Plus, you have a director whose last couple movies were the fucking happy feet movies. (laughs) Like he did the babe pig and the babe pig and the, or both babe movies. I think, I think he did both. Okay. So he does both babe movies. He does the two happy feet movies, which like they might be fine for what they are, but you've got a guy who hasn't made an action movie since 1985. And like, (laughs) he is so far removed. I mean, it's like a George Lucas situation, but even more so he is so far removed from, this world that he used to play with. And so far, he did a good job. Well, that's what I'm getting to, Tim. You're ruining this. You're undercutting it. So he's so far (laughs) removed from like all of that. And then he comes out and says a big question mark of, can he still at 70 years old, make a movie like this? Can he even make a competent movie that is going to be this big action thing? You don't have your star anymore for variable reasons. Um, so Matt Gibson is gone. You don't have him, but then he comes out and he makes not just a good movie, not just a good Mad Max movie, but like one of the best action movies anyone in the world has ever seen and like pushing stuff, like blending CGI and practical stuff, pushing things to places that you wouldn't expect, actually pushing the story forward. And he gets nominated for best director and Best Picture, and absolutely deserves it. A Mad Max movie is nominated for Best Picture, and no one questions it at yeah. all. <laughs> right. So that is my rant, but I just, like, when I was thinking about this, of how unlikely all of that was. Uh, a correction a correction to that, Litton. The Chuds challenged it. Yes. Uh, I, <laughs> yeah, I don't you know guys brought your... your uh... So you, you, brought, you guys brought that up, that, like, there was a... Uh bigger bet there was like a some something of a backlash on like the internet of of the you know large feminist um you know plot that this movie has and the influences that that has and i know that like miller brought in like actual like 
um yeah, it was like a playwright a like playwright yeah like like a lot of like female influences his wife um edited the movie um and he had he did that very specifically because he said that it would be un it, like it can't be edited like a normal action movie so he like just gave her full authority yeah. to just do it however she wanted of course it was great um but yeah so i i, I didn't i do like for whatever reason like i don't remember when it came out Maybe I'm just like completely blinded and still wearing like the rose colored glasses of this movie and just remembering that like it was nothing but just because like what Linton's saying, it's like I remember when this came out, I saw this in a theater. Again, you're talking about a Mad Max movie. I saw this in a packed theater and it was one of the most raucous atmospheres I've ever been in. Oh, yeah. It was in, great. in a theater going experience like I always hear people talk about those types of experiences and like I never really I usually am going to movies at like 2 p.m. on a Saturday, so I don't normally see that. But like uh, my wife and I, when we were dating, I forced her to go to see this on like Friday night at like, you know, seven right on the first night it was out. And I remember it just being like one of the more incredible movie going experiences, seeing that on like the big screen with that audience. And like I I still think about that all the time like that. That's one of like and you're talking too about a movie that like my wife and I both equally like, like she's not an action movie fan, but like there's something about Fury Road that she's just, I think she, I mean, she obviously like appreciates what it's doing and likes the story, likes the characters. And like, she had no concept of what Mad Max was before this. Like it's incredible that the movie pulls off what it does. So like, I I'm still kind of, I'm in like, I'm in like year seven of like a haze of it being like, <laughs> like there can be no descent. On this I'd like movie. to say that the Steve. movie came out in 2015. So Steve was in a haze two years in advance. <laughs> Guys, 2022 is better. I can promise. Steve, Steve has no memories of his wedding day, but he knows exactly every second of Fury road in theater. That is true. <laughs> That is very um, true. No, I I do remember the the backlash a little bit because it wasn't as pronounced, but it was the first inst- yeah, instance of it. It didn't get as much press as later things like Star Wars and, and or Ghostbusters or anything, but it, it was there. And I remember like Lytton bringing this up when it first came out, and now that I've seen the other movies, it seems particularly weird that there was this big backlash. Cause I remember it being how like, Oh, like Max isn't even the main character. Like he's just like subjugating to these women characters and stuff like that. Um, and it's all about them. It's not about Max. This is bullshit. Yada, yada, yada. But kind of like what I was saying before, like for most of the series, Max is not that, like remarkable of i mean like you said he's not really a hero he doesn't want to be a hero but he's not really that remarkable of like if you don't want to call him a hero like an action star like he really doesn't do that much like he drives around once you get to thunderdome he like actually fights people and there's a little bit more of that but he's always been secondary to other people's stories he's always wandering into other people's stories That, uh, you know, with the first movie aside, which the first movie just kind of sucks, so it doesn't really matter, both Road Warrior and Thunderdome, he doesn't have his own, like, plot. It's 
it's all being set in motion by other people. And Fury Road follows that to a T. It is the exact same thing. Yeah, I I, do, I remember telling you about that, Tim, because, yeah, at the time you hadn't seen him, like, that I thought it was particularly bizarre that they were bitching that Max was like, oh, he's just helping these women. It's like, but that's what he always does. Like, in The Road yeah. Warrior, he just, like, helps that town. And in Mad Max uh, Beyond Thunderdome, he just helps those kids. Like, that's just what these movies are, other than the first one. I guess so, he's not allowed to help women. I, I mean, that's kind of what <laughs> it really came down to. When, and like like you mentioned, I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, this is a particularly male-centric franchise. So you have a lot of dudes who are really into muscle cars that they don't drive themselves. Um, and like all about this fantasy of, you know, riding around the wasteland in this dystopia and having Fury Road like so having women be so central to the plot of Fury Road probably like th- threw them for a loop because yeah. I don't know about but... you guys, but yeah, my fantasy definitely includes wearing uh, nothing but leather underwear and a metal mask <laughs> while roaming so the I, desert. I do want to this was something I noticed. And it, actually, this is something that that my fiance noticed because she ended up watching all of them with me. Uh, she was not particularly thrilled about that, um, but I know the joke has been made about like all the assless chaps and like the leather outfits and everything in dystopia, but it did, it did, it did stand out how society crumbles and there is like no longer any heteronormative behavior, like all of the crazy biker games and everything. It's all this like flamboyant, like weird, like bisexual energy. And it was like kind of weird. Cause it's like, is Miller trying to say that like, when you go crazy, you stop doing it missionary style. And that's what brings chaos to the world. Like it was just kind of weird how that's how everyone decided to devolve was to just not have straight sex anymore. I mean, my guess would be that it's just trying to like play with the idea of like a world without rules, but it's also, you're dealing with 1980s mores. So I don't know how deep we want to delve into this or whether or not it's like good. I mean, it's probably like, I mean, it is the Reagan era. So like, it's if nothing else, and especially seeing like what Miller has done with like Happy Feet, which is essentially like a, like a parable for coming out. And then which is, which is very like, are we going to have to do a, are we going to do a franchise on the Happy Feet movie? (laughs) Well, I would say this too. Elijah Woods Penguin doesn't like to sing. He's different he wants to dance and the rest of his family and group disown him for being different oh okay, i've just well... blown your mind with cartoon <laughs> penguins and now um, we're gonna just go right into happy feet <laughs> i am, so well tim i will never, say this tim never watched the mad max movies but he owns all the happy feet films on blu-ray <laughs> i happy will say this feet, happier feet um the thing that I keep in mind uh, that I'm like, as I was watching it, I was uh, uh, trying to keep in mind, for, especially for the first three movies, was that this is like these are like pure Australian enterprises, basically. Like I and, and I don't know what because you mentioned Reagan era. I don't know if like how much of an influence anything that we can connect ourselves to played in the making of these movies, because like, I guess I really don't know what Australian culture was in the late seventies and eighties. Like, I don't, I don't know. 
like if there was anything different at play that like where things made yeah. more sense or if like I, I, I could be way off base and I don't know well, if that's the case, but like, I don't know, maybe that plays like some influence in like the fact that Lord, well, I, Lord I, Humongous I, is wearing nothing but <laughs> leather chaps. And he leather is assless leather. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I used, I used Reagan. So many as sunburns a, as, a, as a shortcut, just like, yeah, at that time, like there wasn't really as much of a, of a knowledge of LGBTQ lgbtq culture so it i mean i'm sure it was just a really quick way to differentiate them from what was considered normal at the time but it's just really weird watching that now where it's just kind of like oh you think this is the epitome of of chaos okay also let's just hear it up for a moment for lord humongous who gives them a pretty good deal just walk away like you know, that's one <laughs> yeah. of the better deals they're gonna get in this yeah, uh, right this <laughs> irradiated wasteland. Well, believes, a lot of the Lin villains believes I mean, everything Lord Humongous tells him. Some the, it's like a split. Like uh, some of the villains in this universe are are fairly accommodating and um you know aren't necessarily out to just rape, pillage, and kill. The, you yeah. know, at the very least, they're they're gonna make you know a, a good enough deal to like let you survive like tina turner yeah auntie uh, is like is not really a bad guy like, she's a leader i mean she's a know, legit at her crux i actually thought auntie had like a very interesting um i think she's one of the more compelling i would say she's the most compelling villain of the oh, series yeah. um morton joe serves he's the best purpose. bad guy best bad guy but i think that auntie has so much more going for her in terms of of depth and potential backstory because like uh when max first meets her she talks about how like she was nobody before um you know all of this happened and she is in this place simply because she survived and like weirdly enough tina turner is like fantastic as yeah. an actress <laughs> and it was well, like Wait, at least in what? this i don't i don't know in anything else but she's great in this she's and, only like... been in like a couple things <laughs> like she was in, she was in this and then um she plays oh my god I, i'm gonna have to find it but she's only in like her like film filmography is like um three like legit roles okay let me see if i can let me see, because like it's while, all her music videos. While you're looking, I'll I'll just say like I think she's kind of, especially in rewatching it, she's like very much in the tradition of great villains like Magneto and like Mister Freeze, animated series Mister Freeze, where you're watching it and you're kind of like, she's not wrong, right? She's not coming from like an evil place. I mean, she's willing to basically kill Max. I think in that test, she's willing to kill Blaster. She is looking out for her town. And it's not even like that Master Blaster was just, oh, he's just like a good dude she doesn't like. Master Blaster was holding them all hostage for his own ego, too. Right. Well, you know, between the two of them, and then he ends up getting humbled, and then he ends up going off with the kids to help save the electric grid or something. But as far as, like, where she's coming from, yeah, I mean, I think she's incredibly compelling um, and is way more interesting. And then it gets to the end. She has every reason to want to kill Max she easily could yeah. kill him and she's just like well you know i see what you were doing we're cool and 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 like I I, not, at the I end of the day what no, i i did i did because i don't i do they don't paint her as being this they don't paint her as being like a sadistic vengeful she's very she was um, doing it for a reason yeah and her reason was gone now so but uh the other movie that i 
uh, she was in was she plays the mayor in Last Action Hero. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, like, there really is like, not much. It was very jarring when Thunder when I put Thunderdome on and it starts, because you have Mad Max, which is obviously a cheapie, and Road Warrior is still, like, very low budget. So, like, the credits roll, and it's, like, very low budget indie kind of style and then thunderdome starts and it's just like the most 80s pop music and tina turner's name shows up right like on the first the first screen with mel gibson's name and it was like oh this is a different time this is a different movie well i can only imagine like how many times they were they would like go to tina turner while making this and she would have to be like you want me to do what like i I have to do what now (laughs) Like, I don't know how I just I because I was trying to find like some stories on it and there wasn't much on there other than like the only reason. Well, probably multiple reasons. But one of the reasons that they cast her was because she's a very like positive person and like she radiates that kind of energy. And so they wanted to like juxtapose that with her being like the villain of the story, essentially. And so kind of getting into like what we're already talking about, which is like that's how it plays on uh on film so but i i just would love to get like the oral history of just what that was like to just have I, tina turner <laughs> and so. i i i will put a question out to you steve because i think tim and i we didn't officially say them all in here but i think our rankings were the same of uh fury road road warrior thunderdome and then the first one um but you put them in reverse order I'm just curious yeah. about that because, like, I I do really like Thunderdome. I mean, I, I there's stuff in Thunderdome that I like as much or more than in. I mean, Thunderdome especially. I like everything with that. There's quotes from it, like "Ain't We a Pair, Raggedy Man," and uh, "Who Run Barter two, Town." Uh, what do two you men got? enter, one man. Oh leave. yeah, I mean, there, two men quotes, enter, one man leaves. Yeah, there's quotes from it that I'll like. I'll use or that will pop in my head. So like, there's absolutely stuff I love in it. But for me, the problem has always been. Once they do the gulag, which is great, and they put them out to the desert, it's about 40 minutes in, there's about an hour left, and then they get to the kids, and it's not that the stuff with the kids is bad, I think it just loses steam, and then the like final chase through the desert is pretty good, I don't think it's to the level of Mad Max, uh, or the Road Warrior, um, and the thing I mentioned to you before, Tim, like, it almost feels like this movie needs to be flipped, like it need like you need Thunderdome at the end because that's I, you'd have to construct the movie differently. He would have to like be going into Barter Town and like he'd have to be like fighting for a different reason. But like to me, all that stuff is like serves as a better climax. But since these movies are built around car chases, essentially, I feel he kind of th- thought, well, we're pot committed, so we have to have this big final car chase. But I don't know. To me, everything after he leaves Thunderdome initially still works just doesn't work as well and almost feels like a different movie so i'm curious steve why you uh thought it was like higher in the rankings than us i think the i would i would probably base most of it on the world building that this does Mm -hmm. uh that thunderdome does and it's not that I have I have anything against Road Warrior because I was kind of going back and forth on like would I put Road Warrior over um, uh, Thunderdome and I, I feel like the reason that I didn't was just because and it's not again not a problem but Road Warrior sort of has that it's a very like simple story um, yeah. it's it's you know he he's gonna help this uh, town uh, this oil refinery 
town escape from Lord Humongous. And it's good. And the I would argue, too, that the action, um, at least in the like final car chase sequence, is like better than um, the final maybe climactic chase of Thunderdome. But there's just yeah. something about like, I think Tina Turner is a fantastic villain. Master Blaster is like a completely bizarre, weird, quasi villain character that I think is really cool. Um, there's so much attention to detail in this in terms of like the character work, like the pig killer, I think is like a really interesting little character that like is just kind of like sprinkled into the story without like that much for him to do. But like, he's very like, even with that limit limited time that he's on screen, like he's, he's a memorable character for me because he's a man just trying to feed his family and he gets punished for it. Um, and that gives me more kind of like pull into what this world is really like. And 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 honestly, like, yeah, I'd probably say that the last uh, 45 minutes of Thunderdome isn't like the best, but there's something about that first half and enough that I like in the second that because I, I do like the kids. I like the viewpoint of the children, too, where they don't understand. They think like a pilot's coming back to save them to like take them to these cities. Tomorrow, so now Morrowland. Tomorrow, Morrowland. So um, going to the uh, scraper skies or something like that. Yeah. I can't remember what they call them, but I think it's also kind of a cool intro into like if what if high, you were high like scrapers, I think high scrapers. Yeah. Uh, so what so then it gives you an intro into what if you were entered into the world? What if your kids that either weren't born yet or don't remember what life was like uh, before, you know, the war wiped everything out and like this is how they think how the world was or how and how it might work now so like it's a i like it because it's the third movie of the series and it totally flips on its head like what what the max movies are um fair enough yeah and i and i really like that um and i i think just based on like the world building and like bar, the whole barter town sequence and then also the thunderdome battle like that alone is just like i would say that's as good as anything that even I see. I, I saw in Fury Road. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely it's the biggest of the three of the three originals. And yeah, I mean, there's stuff in it that I think are as good as the series has ever gotten. Yeah, like for me, it's like even the stuff that I think isn't quite there. Like I still like it. It's kind of like, oh, okay, it doesn't work as well. Um, but I mean, I'm still I'm still down with it. Those are interesting, those are some solid reasons. There's an interesting idea like within all the stuff with the kids because it's essentially getting at how religion is created. But it's not really something that the movie <clears throat> really picks up and runs with. And because the movie isn't actually devoting itself fully to that, it – I mean like you said, Lynn, it feels like a completely different movie that's just kind of squeezed in there. And so even though there's – I think there's an interesting idea that you could play around with – I thought all the stuff with the ki the kids was kind of a drag. I mean, I get that. It like it, it would be one thing if like they if you restructured the movie like you were talking about and put different kinds of focus on different things, but it feels like the the idea is there but Miller didn't actually have anything to say about it. It was just one more idea to throw into this movie which like you said Steve it's a, the biggest movie of the original trilogy. Um there's a lot of different ideas bouncing around and a lot of them are really cool, but it, it has a very 
everything but the kitchen sink approach to me where you have a bunch of ideas, but there's no real thought into how to actually string them together into a coherent whole. When I, and I said like flipping it would make sense narratively. And I, I thought about this some too earlier, like, like, so let's say you basically open the movie where he comes across a group of kids and then, you know, he needs to infiltrate barter town for some reason. And then, you know, they become enemies and all that kind of stuff. Like, I think narratively that would probably work better because then you would have the kids are there from the beginning. The goals are there from the beginning. Um, but the problem with that I realized was, well, then you're basically just making the road warrior again. It's like, here's this group that I've come across and here's their problem. And here's the one I need to fix. And there's this outside group that's bad. And so I wonder if maybe he intentionally avoided that um, and had it be where he doesn't discover the kids until after the fact it makes it for a really weird narrative movie um, where like the kind of goal of the movie does not show up until 45 minutes in up to that point. It's just like Mad Max is just hanging out in this town and it's really cool. But like, (laughs) but like after that is like kind of when the like actual like stakes come into place. That makes it very weird. But if you did reverse engineer it and, you know, did it backwards, it would probably play almost like, kind of like the road warrior except they have wwe smackdown at some point so i don't know you know i mean i again i still like it but it does like make for kind of an uneven movie i think all right so where does this series go from here and an acceptable answer is that it should stop so i that's partly where i'm heading but um i i want to start with you guys as uh kind of just seeing, you know, what, what's the future of uh, this series? Does it live on in, I know that there's talk of doing another one. I know George Miller's trying to get another one to, on board and they seem to be closer now than they have been in recent months or years or whatever. Um, Mad Max five coming to theaters, 2050. It, <laughs> yeah. A 105 year old George Miller pulling it off would be probably a bigger feat. Um <laughs> But yeah, does it live on? Because I know originally he was talking about doing Fury Road as a series before that, you know, materialized into a movie again. Um, there were prequel comics to Fury Road. They're okay. uh, which, oh, were there? I didn't, yeah, I, I didn't know that. They're not anything special. Yeah, oh, I, okay. I think you and I talked about them at one point. I, yeah, it didn't seem like they were like anything too crazy. Um, but all right. So where where does it go from here? On the one hand, I would be fine if it just stopped. Um, because I'm like I'm, I'm not a fan of the series as a whole. I don't have the attachment to the older movies. I think Fury Road is a fantastic movie, but it's also something where I'm very hesitant to think it can be topped. I would say that if anything, I would be more interested in like a Furiosa spinoff, which I know they were talking about for a hot minute. Uh, but I think that just like the idea of another Mad Max movie has kind of fallen by the wayside. Just because, like, I think the world itself has, has always been one of the stronger elements of the Mad Max movies, and I think it's still worth exploring, but like I, I, like I said in my notes, like, for when we were doing the prep, like, I feel like it took four movies for me to actually connect with Max as a character, and like, where I felt he had, like, some kind of personality, and I don't know if that, I mean, I don't know if that had to do with 
Tom Hardy bringing a certain intensity to it. I do think it's kind of weird that this is what helped launch Mel Gibson's career because I don't think he was doing anything special in any of the Mad Max movies. I think Tom Hardy did a much better job. And again, like I mentioned before, it seemed like they gave Max a more kind of frantic feral personality in fury road that wasn't present in the other movies so i feel like maybe hardy just had more to work with since they were making him more of a haunted by your past demons type character in fury road but we've got four movies of max and i really didn't feel any kind of connection to him until the fourth one furiosa has only been in one movie but i feel in that one movie you know, I've you've gotten a much better sense of who she is as a character than even Max at this point. So I would be interested to see what the world looks like through that lens and that viewpoint. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm up for them. Uh, the note that I made to you guys was like that this is Miller's baby. So, you know, past him, I don't know what happens. I don't know. You know, I mean, I mean, I think any property can be handed off. I mean, if, if that wasn't the case, then we would never have Batman after, uh, you know, like Bob Kane and Bill Finger stopped writing Batman in 1950 or whatever it was. So, like, obviously, I think, like, any property can be picked up by good people. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work as well or if it would take a few bad entries before they, like, get it right or whatever. But it, as far as, like, ones that are in the works, uh, supposedly one is actually being looked at to be done in like 2022. And that's the one that they're calling Furiosa. I don't know that it's strictly a spinoff. It it's called her, you know, uses her name, but Max might actually be still in it. Uh, the other one that he has an idea for is like the wasteland he's used as a title. So he has like at least like two or three things that he in theory wants to do. And I think the reason they haven't happened has been a combination from what I've read of one, he wanted to give himself a break after Fury Road. And two, I, if I believe, if I remember correctly, I believe he had disputes over like the profits of Fury Road of like, he was, you know, supposed to get X amount, you know, percentage wise or whatever. And they were kind of screwing him. So yeah, he I have was a vague recollection of legal. I think there issues. were lawsuits around that. Yeah, yeah. So I, so I think that held back, um, cause I think, you know, they were ready to kind of jump into them within a couple of years initially, I think. And then those happen. And then I think he's like, you know, held off a bit, but I mean, you know, the guy's like 75, but again, he made Fury Road, which was nuts at the age of 70 and, you know, a movie that's just like incredibly visceral. So, I mean, I would say he still has it in him. If he has stories to tell, I'm interested Beyond him, the only notes I made was I thought like James Mangold, who did uh, Logan, I think would be able to do a really good like gritty vibe. Um, and the only other person that comes to mind, other than like keeping Tom Hardy for Max, uh, is um, Christopher McQuarrie, who's done the last two Mission Impossible movies because Mission Impossible Fallout was also one of the best action movies that has ever been made. Um, and so if he could like apply that same quality that he did to Mission Impossible and just do it in the dirt with cars, like it could be, you know, on the same level. So like those would be the two guys that I could immediately think of a like they could potentially carry the torch, depending on if you wanted a more rough and tumble lower level one or if you wanted like to be as 
huge and operatic as possible. Um, so basically, you know, I'm open to it, but yeah, beyond Miller, I don't yeah, know I what think, happens. Yeah. I, I feel like this is one of those franchises where, and, and I think I'm thinking in terms of like, maybe George Lucas is, is the only other one, unless I'm missing one, but there aren't many franchises where there is such a singular focus and vision and like influence on it. Like, this is George. Aside from um, maybe some co-writing credits, and I know there was a co-director on Thunderdome because uh, his friend, who was a producer, had passed away like right before Thunderdome was made, and so he shared the directing credits um, on that one. But this is such a like unique f- franchise in that it's been it's been built and maintained by one person, and without him. I don't know if there's like, I mean, in the, in this age, I could definitely see it being now WB uh, Warner Brothers probably sees it as a valuable property to use. So I'm sure that it, it will continue in some capacity, no matter what, at some point. But personally, I'd say I want it to begin and end with Miller because I, I just don't. I'm sure other people could do a, could do a good job with it, but it just seems like there's something about like his vision for this weird apocalyptic world that I don't know if it could be duplicated or even and like. O- and other people have tried. Oh, I was going to say, and other people have tried. Like when these hit in the '80s, there were a bunch of imitators of like, oh, you guys like you know people driving around in the desert. We can do that. And from what I yeah. understand, all those movies are just dog shit like there's not a single (laughs) one of them and anyone ever talks about as being anything good and i mean how many times have how many times in the last like 20 years now have we seen movies of you know dudes walk dudes wandering apocalyptic wastelands like there are so many movies where that's the case and you know i i feel like they could they they're done to like middling success like there's just nothing about there's just fury road has really cemented it if if fury road didn't exist i'd say yeah sure why not but like i don't know if there's anybody else who can like mimic that that vision for it i i know i was i mentioned george lucas and i was going to ask you guys is there any other franchise where like it's it's been like it's been one person's baby for like that many movies and it, and nobody else has essentially like carried the torch or been the driving the force future, right back to the future was zemeckis yeah. all the way and- I mean, well zemeckis and gail for back to the future they wrote and they wrote all three together and then zemeckis directed all three and then they keep very uh stringent guidelines that they cannot remake or make sequels to it so those are very firmly stamped as them but yeah they didn't they didn't carry it past three miller's carried it to four he wants to do probably five and six at least as long as he's still kicking and then yeah with your example of lucas lucas didn't direct them all but clearly oversaw all six heavily plus he oversaw to some degree the ewok movies and And then all the the animated shows all the expanded universe stuff he had a hand in and indiana jones maybe Spielberg and Lucas. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a few out there. I, it, but it just, there's something about like, I, I, and maybe I'm just because it's something I just watched, but it feels like Mad Max is so purely a George Miller thing that 
it just it, it because I mean you're talking you know it's like um, Indiana Jones is like a Lucas um, Spielberg thing. Star Wars has now had a lot of different hands starting to kind of take get their hands into it. Um, and there's just something about Mad Max that feels very unique. And I could be way off base thinking that, but there's just something unique about the like the vision, the world that he's um, built. I'll, I'll throw one out. Uh, Sam Raimi um, did directed all three of the Evil Dead's, and then uh, directed the pilot episode of the of Ash vs. Evil Dead. Yeah. And, was, and was still a producer on it. I don't know how heavily involved he was, but how involved um, was he in the the remake that they did? Though I don't think was, very. Uh, he was he was a producer? A, he was a producer, and he and well, he and Bruce Campbell were both producers, and they like I think selected the guy to do it. So I mean, they still let him do his own thing, but like they didn't like walk away from it. They were still like you know giving advice and stuff. But yeah, it, I mean, I, I your overall point, I would agree with you. Like, yeah, it's it's fairly rare because like I think you brought up James Cameron before, but I mean, he did the first two for Terminator. And then they made, what is it? It's up to the, is it the sixth one. Six. Yeah. This. Yeah. So, the, so they've done six now, and the last two he had some. Inv- last one he had the most involvement since Judgment Day. The one before that he had like minimal involvement, but they had definitely moved away from him. But they've never. But Miller's always been the guy. Yeah. Avatar will be Cameron's baby. Oh yes. Boy. <laughs> I can't wait till we do that one. That'll be that'll be a 2050 podcast. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Um, it'll. I, it, this is another one where if it if it continued, I guess I'd be cool with that. Of course, if Miller was involved, um, and if it ended on Fury Road, I also was able to see one of the best action movies ever made, um, and one of the craziest like cinematic experiences. So like I'm good either way. This could go, this could be fine either way for me. Okay. Uh, do you guys have any final thoughts on Mad Max? Are you wasted, uh, Tim? <laughs> wasted? No, <laughs> that's all I'll say. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, my final thoughts are, uh, Fury Road is, I think, you know, a fantastic action movie. It's great. But as a, the franchise overall, I think is just fine. And you guys hate me for that. But no, I don't hate you for that. I, I, I wouldn't say <laughs> hate I, you it's for not like, the reasons, Tim. <laughs> right. I, just, I don't like, think that's like the, I don't think that's like a super far off assessment of the franchise. I yeah. don't think that's like absurd. I think it's super inconsistent and like the highs are really high, but then the lows to me are really low. Like I would say there's one great movie, like one really great movie. Road Warrior is fine and Thunderdome is part of a good movie, but it's, it's overall Fury Road aside, it's just kind of an, it exists franchise for me. Only other thing I'll add is something that I meant to bring up, but it never like veered in that direction is I remember reading that uh, Tarantino was a big fan of Fury Road, but that he said he would have loved to have seen Fury Road if you did that exact same movie, like, to the frame. Like, everything was exactly the same, except that you still kept Mel Gibson in the role and you had old Mad Max in that same balls-to-the-wall insane movie. And I have to say, like, I kind of want to see that. Like, Hardy was fantastic. 
And Mel Gibson is a horrible person, so they were absolutely right to not cast him. <laughs> but in another universe where Mel Gibson wasn't a horrible person, and you were able to do that in kind of like an old Han Solo or these other franchises where they've brought back characters and like had the old versions or, you know, like uh, what was the uh, Clint Eastwood uh, Gran Torino kind Gran of thing? Torino. Like if yeah, you yeah. had like a 65-year-old Mad Max and like, you know, I got one last job, like, and you did mm-hmm. that movie, like, that could have been pretty cool, especially if you would have had that, like, we've followed this character. Again, Tom Hardy was perfectly cast. He was great. He's a great actor, so he ran with it wonderfully. But yeah. I do kind of wish that could have existed in the world. I am, I, I that, if it were to continue, I would be very interested in there being, like, because that's the one story that you haven't told yet is a very old Mad Max where like what does the world look like you know 20 plus years past Thunderdome you know if that's technically sort of the end of uh the series I I, you know I I think because then you could even say like does society have some semblance like of existence is it like is it still a wasteland I I think that's an interesting story but you also have to like you said contend with the fact that Mel Gibson is like a heinous human being. And so there'd be that to deal with. <laughs> so I don't know. Unless you, um, wanted to have, unless you want to have old Max be, be racist. Like one of the old, one of those old racist people. And then Mel Gibson would be perfectly cast. That is true. <laughs> so if he wants to go that route, bring him back. And on that note, we'll close out <laughs> episode two. <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> um, that's it for Mad Max. Um, go and watch fury road on repeat for the rest of your life and we will see you later let's review some films let's review some films